0: I love Burn the Haystack because I'm a deep thinker and I like to challenge old traditions to make way for a brighter future. That's also why I chose to get my degree from Avondale University College. With a thriving community of believers, I was able to kickstart my career and grow my faith at the same time. Business, arts, teaching, nursing or ministry. Called to make a difference? Called to be at Avondale.
1: Welcome back to Burn the Haystack
0: with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest.
1: Absolutely is, and you know what? We have hit that time of year, Jesse.
0: <laughs> the time of year where we get Nathan Brown on to talk about the latest book that he's written, or, it or is it the hum other? Let's
2: some Christmas carols in unison. Come uh, on! Da, 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 <laughs> can you hear the sleigh bells da, da,
0: da, da.
1: ring-a-ling? Ding, you know ding, what? Ting-a-ling. Anyone? Do you guys? No, do you
0: guys whistle? Oh, that's a weird question, <laughs> but
1: uh, occasionally, yes. Okay.
0: Do you have, like, like, a default whistle that you do? Like, is there, like, a default whistle?
2: You mean in style or song? Like,
0: like, is there, like, a type of whistle? Like, I'm not talking about, like, whether you put your fingers in your mouth or (laughs) whether you don't. But, like, is there, like, a tune that you, like, default whistling to? Hmm.
1: No, I think it changes every time I whistle now that I think about it. Right now, I'm just thinking about whistling the uh, sleigh ride or whatever that song is. (laughs) <laughs>
2: okay. Okay. Uh, the one that's stuck uh, that just works for my whistling is um, the U2 song Love Is Bigger Than Anything In Its Way Oh uh, that's... so obviously that's a relatively recent thing because that's uh, only a year or two old as a song yeah. but since I saw them in concert last at uh, this time last year um, yeah that's one of my go-to songs and so oh, um, that's yeah, so cool. I um, yeah, that's and it's a good whistler.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's you know, cool. It, it,
2: there's a certain t- type of song that to whistle. <laughs> it's not just any song that you turn up.
0: Yeah, well, the reason I asked was because, for me, it's Deck the Halls. For some reason, whenever I <laughs> have nothing else, I'm always... <laughs> <whistles> that's a good whistling song, you know, now that you do it. It's a good whistling song, right? You know, Yeah, it's great. indeed. Yes. Huh.
3: So, um, uh, whenever I whistle...
0: I'm always in the Christmas mood. So. <laughs> That's good.
2: So even in mid-July, in the dark of winter. In the dark of winter. when um,
0: the light of Christmas shines uh, down upon us. It's a
2: beautiful thing, yes. which is kind of funny with this book. So I'll take over the interview from here. Yeah, um, yes, do it. <laughs> right. yep.
1: We can retire early. So,
2: <laughs> just, just kick back. Um, we, um, I've had this idea to write this book for a number of years, but of course, you get fired up about Christmas at Christmas time. And there's no point writing something for Christmas once you're in, at Christmas time.
3: Mm. And so
2: I had this idea I've got to um, work out how I can write this book feeling Christmassy when it's not Christmas.
3: Mm.
2: And I kind of I'd, I'd had the idea for a few years, and I was kind of, you know, how do I do this? And I said, I'm just going to have to lock myself up in my house sometime, play Christmas carols, and try and, you know, get Christmas-fired, you know, maybe um, you know, cook some Christmas pudding, you know, whatever you have to do to get Christmassy. Hmm. And um, so as it happened, I'd um, got approval from a committee that was supporting my writing of this book earlier in the year. And um, so I knew I had to get on and get it done. And uh, then Melbourne got locked down uh, with COVID restrictions, And, um, Mm -hmm. so I was stuck in my house for a while and I actually said, okay, this is the moment, this is the opportunity. And, um, you know, so I was home not going anywhere on, you know, anywhere, anytime. And, um, you know, we even had curfews and all of those kind of crazy things. Um, and so I said, I'm going to write this book and you know, my idea for it was a devotional book, 31 days of December. So I said, there's 31 days in July. If I start on the 1st of July, I'll be done by the 31st of July. Mm-hmm. And so every morning I'd get up early in the dark, light a fire, get kind mm-hmm. of Christmassy, and um, you know write until that, uh, that day's writing was done. And um, you know my first reader is always my wife. And so her job was then to have some, my target was to have something for her to read each evening. Ah. Um, I thought I'd worked on that day and um, so that was our experience of the first month of Melbourne's heavy duty lockdown in the middle of the year and the dark of winter and um, thinking Christmassy thoughts and so I can recommend that as you know that's good for your heart and soul even amidst the um, challenges of um, of coronavirus lockdowns and some of those kind of things that mm. this is a pretty good story to spend your time focusing on when some of the other things you take for granted or might wish you were doing can't happen.
3: Hmm.
1: That's probably a real pro of writing something Christmassy but in the Southern Hemisphere because you could do it in winter mm. here and mm. all the sort of Christmas songs and traditions and stuff in media and all, you know, it's all obviously related around America so it's all very like yeah. wintery based. <laughs> so There's a bit that's,
2: of that. Yeah, that's a good pro. That's, that hasn't got much to do with um, the actual ti- probable actual timing of Jesus' birth, right? Um, mm. which probably the, most, the best experts suggest that it might have taken place in October, mm. that kind of time of year, uh, which means it wouldn't have been in the dead of winter.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, because, I mean, even in Israel, it can often snow in the middle of winter, um, huh. particularly around Jerusalem and Bethlehem and those places because it, is, it does get cold. Mm. Uh, and they're pretty high elevation and so you know probably two or three times a year it can snow in those places and so you wouldn't have shepherds out in the fields watching their flocks when it's if it's that freezing cold and whatever True. so you know, that's part of the gap in our tradition of christmas um but you know but certainly the traditions of christmas are very wintry focused and you know, the fire crackling and all of those kind of Mm. things. Yeah, that feels kind of homey and Christmassy and all those good things.
3: Yeah.
0: There's the whole brand of Christmas. Like, there's definitely something very warm and comforting and, you know, sort of homely, even even without, like, sad to say, the the religious sort of spiritual implications. But, Mm. of course, those add such an extra beautiful layer over it. I have often... Oh, man... I've I've often felt like ripped off living in Australia, New Zealand, because <laughs> when everybody else is like, you know, drinking their eggnog and sitting around the Yule log, it's like it's like thirty five degrees, it's
2: scorching hot, <laughs> scorching hot.
0: It's terrible. That's
2: right. <laughs> yeah, and everybody yeah. still tries to make a roast dinner. And <laughs> yeah, 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 you're eating hot food.
0: Yeah. Oh man, the house gets so so hot when you got the mm. ovens on. It's yeah, terrible.
1: Yeah. Oh well, you know, you get a good old. Christmas barbecue. That's that's Christmassy mm. to me, but that's because what it's what I've grown up with. That's but, yeah, that's you know, the Australian
2: like, adaptation of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Maybe even the true way. I don't know. <laughs> but last year I was in I was in Japan in sort of mm-hmm. late November. And I did not you know, when thinking about Japan, I didn't really think about how they would about Christmas, but they go hard. Like end of November, they were already like there were massive Christmas trees up, and there was a whole Christmas tree and it was like in this shopping center and it was just a star wars themed christmas tree <laughs> why i don't know oh, i think the movie was releasing but i'm like <laughs> okay why not and it was why like not? enormous i don't even i don't even know how tall it was it was cra- and the decorations were so like and this is just at one random shopping center yeah somewhere <laughs> in tokyo like yeah, yeah. everywhere they were just going hard this is the end of november i'm like man I want to just stay here for another month. I want to see see it hit the climax. I want to see it Christmas Day. But anyway, it was getting pretty cold by that stage. You wouldn't think (laughs) that. Ready to head back.
0: Were you telling me, Josh, or was it you that was telling me that it's KFC is like a Christmas tradition for Japanese people on Christmas Day? Like, Like it's their sort of like Christmas roast?
1: I think I was telling you that. But I don't remember now. But I think <laughs> I remember. I think I remember. I think I, this is a long time ago. This is like from This is from I think back then when I came Pro- back.
0: Probably. I, think I mentioned that. Twelve months ago. I mean, who remembers what they were doing twelve months ago? To be fair, there's
1: That's been a right. lot between now and twelve months ago. I think yeah. we're all probably <laughs> realizing
2: that. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so but- okay.
2: Hey, oh, yeah. Jesse? So
0: for the book, so let, let's get to the book. For those of you Dude, who are, for those of you who are watching, Josh and I have our copies here. It is called Advent. I'll get the subtitle: Hearing the Good News in the Story of Jesus' Birth by some guy named Nathan Brown. I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure he's great. <laughs> um, well,
2: Josh Stutter said so. So who am I to argue? Well, <laughs> yes. like
0: they were telling me in the in the middle, there is. Uh, There is a testimonial from this man right underneath me right here, which is... Yes,
1: this is why every single Burn the Haystack, every single Haystack burner, all of you need to get this book because Burn the Haystack has a shout out in it, okay? It's like right in the very front page. Well, I would
0: like to say Josh endorses it. I don't endorse it. Josh does, so... (laughs) Maybe a half endorsement from it Burn the Haystack. It says Burn
1: the Haystack, Jesse, so Burn the Haystack 100% endorses it. Everybody who likes Burn the Haystack endorses this book. Hard out. That's well how said, it works. Well
0: said. If yep. you say so, if you say so.
2: Uh, Jesse, get on board. <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know, uh, yeah, maybe I just, I just need to humble myself and get on board, so that's all good. <laughs> um, so uh, Nathan, tell us about the book, where, where did the idea, I mean, you kind of already shared a little bit about where the idea came from, but really, why did you want to write a, a Christmas themed book in the first place? Did it start like that or did it start in a different place?
2: Uh, well, Christmas is one of those things that happens every year. Is that a good place to start? Yes, I have um, also
1: noticed that trend.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's recurring. Um, and it's one of those occasions in our society, even in our very secular societies of Australia and New Zealand and some other such places, even Japan in its own interesting kind of way, mm. um, that will stop and at least acknowledge something to do with the story of Jesus. And it's, it's something we have a church, as a church have often recognised that you know this is a way with an opportunity for us to talk about jesus at a time when somebody might be interested in listening and so it's often been that kind of thing for myself christmas has been a bit of a love-hate relationship um you know i've gone through that cynical stage that many of us do of um you know christmas is just all guff and nonsense and yeah, you know, and there's so much of that, you know, all the you know the thing that just really bugs me is the expectation of having to buy gifts for people who don't need anything. Um, you know, and that just drives me batty. And, um, you know, so when I told my wife that I was working on a book about Christmas, she laughed at me and said, you're the Christmas grump. You know, why, why would you ever be writing a story about Christmas? And the thing is, amidst all the stuff, amidst all, uh, you know, Trashy Christmas songs in supermarkets and shopping centres, amidst all uh, you know, photos with Santa and nonsense that everybody goes on with. So you get to that point amidst all the craziness and all the pressure and all the family expectations and all the church expectations and all of that stuff, where well, you just stop and you hear again the story. You sing those songs. Um, you might you know watch something that is a story of what actually happened or whatever it is where you just stop and realize again the story. And so my, um, I guess my vision for the book was how can we sense stretch those moments across the whole of December, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you know, what could we do to, you know, get to somewhere where we can have more of that moment, more of those moments, more of that time across, uh, the, the month leading you know, the weeks leading up to Christmas. And so Christmas becomes more about that than above about all the other stuff. Mm
3: -hmm. So that
2: was my initial vision. The book is 31 chapters. And the idea is um, a reading for each day of the month of December. And um, the idea with that is that, you know, you start with um, something happened and you know, this idea of good news that you mentioned in the subtitle, the first part of that is news, something happened. Uh, The, bigger picture of that is what makes it good. And so that's the rest of the the, the book is here's all the different aspects of what made that thing that happened so good. Mm. And once you get to the 25th reading, that's kind of focused on the actual moment of the birth of Jesus. And then after that, the last last week of readings uh, is focused on what happened afterwards, the rest of the story. Mm. Um, So Jesus and his teaching, his life and death and resurrection, and his promise for a second advent
3: mm-hmm. and
2: um, yeah, so and, and what it means then to live with hope in the light of the story of Jesus and who he was about. So that's the short overview and um, that's really what it's designed to do is to be that, um, yeah, to stretch those moments of realising how good and amazing and incredible the story of Jesus actually is.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's cool. I, I like the idea of that because I think I think leading up to Christmas, it often just becomes about just that 25th moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then after it, it's like, it's done, you know? Mm. <laughs> like you can't Until next year. About it. Uh, so I think this is really cool. I think it's a great way to stretch it out and even to go beyond what we normally do when we talk about it. And of
2: course, there is a tradition in the liturgical calendar of the church of the season of Advent, which Mm. is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Um, And I actually did some reading in that. I mean, my first jumping off point with Advent as the title of the book was, you know, it's putting the Advent back into Adventist. Um, Yep, cool. (laughs) And of course, we focus, you know, the tradition in our faith community has been focused on the second Advent. Yeah. But The Adventist Advent in Adventist should be at least as much focused on the first Advent. You know, Mm. we are Jesus people, and that's what we should be about. That's the best story we've got to tell. And then, but then there is this other Christian tradition of these four weeks that are a period of expectation and anticipation of what will come. Mm. And um, so I did some reading about that and some some of the traditional um, Christian calendar kind of uses of that and I actually discovered that my thinking about it was not unique which is is something that many of us discover when you actually go and do some research in something (laughs)
3: Um,
2: that this was not just focused on that the season of Advent was also a time of basically expecting God to act in the world now we've seen that in the story of Jesus and we we never do Advent as uh, without the understanding that it's or, Jesus has already come. We can't mm. pretend he hasn't. So while we are building up to telling that story again, we're also living in the recognition that this is a focus on that God will act in the world today and that God will act again in the world in the future.
3: Mm. And
2: so even in the traditional liturgical calendar, the Sunday after Christmas is actually called Christ the King Sunday. Mm. Um, and so that's focused on, you know, God, God, coming as king. He's come as a child, he's come as a human being. Now he comes back as king to judge the world and to set wrongs right and to finish the story that began with the birth of Jesus uh, 2,000 odd years ago. So Mm. while I think what I've done is very um, Adventist um, in the way we've looked at it, uh, it also does fit with what has been the best of the Christian tradition in the past around this season um, in the church calendar. Hmm.
0: You know what I love about that is, and forgive me if I go on a rant here. <laughs> I Brace th- yourselves,
2: everyone. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. <here> go. <laughs> when you
0: think about Adventists, what liturgy do we really have apart from the quarterly Sabbath school? Like, we don't really have much in the way of liturgy. And I think... I think our early church fathers were pretty were pretty intentional about that. Our early mm. church fathers and mothers, you know, they just they didn't want that sort of I don't know, maybe they thought liturgy was catholic or something like that. But the truth is that liturgy is found in so many denominations outside of catholicism and even if it mm. is catholic, then Okay, in my opinion, who really cares? Like it's just because something... Salvation is also Catholic. You know, Jesus is also Catholic. You can make anything Catholic if you want to. Um, I think, though, the fact that we don't really have much of a liturgy, I think is so detrimental in so many different ways to us as as a church. Because I feel like what it does is it just gives us this free reign to kind of do whatever we want. And so, so many people just go, well, I don't know what I want to do. So I don't, I'm not going to do anything, you know? And I think you could definitely say that the church service is probably maybe, the church service with the Sabbath school is probably our highest form of liturgy. It's sort of hmm. like the baseline level of what well, we expect you to rock up at a certain time to participate in a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. But beyond that, I love this idea of bringing back this idea of Advent, which is such a deep, rich tradition and so many other different denominations, um, but making it in a way that is totally accessible to somebody who has no liturgical experience before. I, mm. Yeah. Mm. Is that too ranty? Is that too, too many opinions? <laughs> uh, a friend I of mine
2: know. once made the comment, and he actually is a relatively senior church leader these days, um, that... As Adventists, we have as many traditions as anybody else. Ours just don't mean anything, <laughs> uh, which I think is a bit of a,
3: a serious
2: criticism. Because it's great that we these kind of traditions. I think have really a significant part that we we start we do things, and whether it's a liturgical preaching calendar or whatever, we do things because it's time to do them, not because mm. we would necessarily choose them. That's what yeah. Sabbath is. Um, to use a really good. Um, Adventist example, you know, we keep Sabbath when the sun sets, not when we're ready. Yeah. yeah. You know, because we're never ready. If we yeah, wait we till we feel like Sabbath, there's always something else to do. Yeah, but true. Because it happens by an external, you know, kind of arbitrary signifier, um, then we, it just comes to us as an mm. act of grace in that sense. And mm. and I think the same with some of these seasons that we stop each year you know, in our society and our culture prompts us to stop each year and retell the story of Jesus. That's such mm. a great thing. Mm, um, absolutely. Because if it was up to us, we'd just be busy and we'd keep going along and we might not get to it for, yeah. you know, it might not be every 12 months, it might be every 18 months that we came back to it. Or you know. So again, this idea of a season where we say, this is what we do simply because it is this season is a really good yeah even you could call it a spiritual discipline in that sense, to, yeah,
0: because I think to we need stop and tell it again. We need that reminder of mm. actually to practice our spirituality in a way that reminds us of what it means to be human and what it means to relate to the divine and the way that divine actually interacts with us on a spiritual mm. level, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. And even if you go back to the story of Christmas or the story of the birth of Jesus, which I've really focused the book on the story of the birth of Jesus rather than the story of Christmas. I've been careful in my language there because Christmas is kind of just a excuse to retell the story of Jesus. And the story of the birth of Jesus is the preeminent element of it. So that's where we need our focus to be rather than Christmas. But if Christmas prompts us towards that, that's great. Uh, But even in the retelling in the Bible, there's kind of this: the time had come for this to happen.
3: Mm. It wasn't
2: necessarily that, and when it did happen, most of the world didn't even notice. Um, You know, and we—it's only kind of in the Christmas carols that the whole world holds its breath in this moment (laughs) of expectation. Yeah, that wasn't the story. (laughs) The world was going on, but Mm. this thing happened that those who were alert to it. Noticed and said, "There's something really amazing going on here." And this was the best part of my experience in putting the book together: was simply to go and read those stories most close, more closely than I ever had before, and just to you know tease out some of the details of you know, the rather scant Bible stories that we have uh, that that retell the story, um, but just some of those tiny little details of the rest of the world's going on. But for those people that actually noticed those people that were looking for it, they recognized this as the most incredible thing that they'd ever come across. Mm. That, you know, the stories of, um, you know, the song of that uh, uh, Mary sings when she goes to visit Elizabeth in Luke chapter one, you know, there's, these two peasant women in this tiny little village, some, you know, that we don't even know the name of the village um, somewhere in the hills of Judea. Um, one, one, so old as to beyond any reasonable expectation of having kid the other someone who shouldn't have been pregnant and it was a scandal that she was and they sing this song about how their two boys are going to change the world Mm. it's just ridiculous except the fact that we know they sang that song proves the significance of their boys and what they're about Mm. um and you know there's no reason we would ever have known those Places, those names, those those stories, except that something really significant happened, mm. and that's where I, you know, to me, the ultimate picture of incarnation, Christmas, for all the junk that we uh, is associated with it and heaped on top of it, and all the layers of culture and sentimentality and all those things, the fact that this story still resides there in the, at at the heart of it, is the ultimate incarnation. You know, something of eternal value and significance and world-altering whatever that kind of just buries itself amidst all this cultural nonsense. Mm. You know, that is Christmas, and that is what incarnation is about. You know, it's a far, you know, a lot of people, and it's one of these things that gets brought up all the time, that, <clears throat> that Christmas is, you know, a pagan festival and whatever, and <laughs> that's actually been largely rejected by many historians these days that actually that's a cheap shot and it probably doesn't add up. Um, But the picture of a pagan festival becoming, even if that was the case, a pagan festival being then adapted to Christian purposes, that's far less of an outrage than God becoming human. (laughs) Because God becoming human is ridiculous. It's blasphemous. It's nuts, except it happened. And mm. then that's a, that's the central miracle, that is the story in, it, in the story of our world.
1: Mm. Wow! Wow! Yeah, you know when you actually compare them, it seems pretty ridiculous. <laughs> 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 I don't think I've ever sort of, like actually thought that through. No. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I think um, like just the chaos we see around Christmas, I think amplifies people's um, issues with it even mm. more because even yeah. if they don't. Even if they don't necessarily fall into the, it's pagan, so we shouldn't do anything about it camp. The other side is it's just a consumeristic. Yeah. It's still very easy to be cynical. Yeah, yeah. For people (laughs) like, it's yeah, it is an easy time of year to be cynical, especially if you've had a negative experience around Christmas and then it starts to carry in to every Hmm. other year.
2: Yeah. And I guess my pushback on that is to say, yes, it is easy to be cynical, but we're not called to do the easy things. And the best act of resistance we can do to whether it's the the paganism or the so-called paganism, my quotes won't work so well in an audio format, um, (laughs) the paganism or the consumerism or the commercialism or whatever else you might object to Christmas, that's the easy thing to do is to be critical of that. The hard thing and perhaps the most significant act of resistance is to step up and say, no, I celebrate Jesus. You know, mm. that's what it's about. That's the core of it. Mm. Um, I quote a funny little story from um, C.S. Lewis in the book um, where he was um, talking about how, and he was talking from his Church of England perspective about the Feast of Nativity as comparing that to the secular Christmas. And he told the story of a woman on a bus that he, I think his, his brother heard, overheard, and they were driving past a church and um, this woman sees this nativity scene out the front of the church and she goes, Oh, they're trying to drag religion into everything these days, even <laughs> dragging it into Christmas. And uh, yeah. And, and yeah, you know, that's kind of the uh, a humorous example, but a true example of the ignorance that surrounds this. Yeah. And so there's almost a blank slate when it comes to the opportunity we have to reclaim the story of the birth of Jesus mm. in this context, we can say, you know, this is the story that matters. You know, all the other stuff, you know, there's lots of good things around Christmas and because we don't have Thanksgiving in our part of the world, often Christmas becomes that kind of double thing mm. where families get together and where, um, you know, you actually look back over the year and are grateful for the good things that you've done and, you know, you, you catch up and you spend time in that kind of way and you have good food and all those kind of things. And that's just wonderful. You know, there's so many good things about that. Um, but this bigger picture of there's a story at the centre of it that actually, mm. if we just give it the chance, changes everything. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering, 2020. Mm. If you'd written this book in another year, do you think it would be different than writing it in the context of the year that's been? How how do you think? Do you think? that it's different by what's happened this year? Or do you think it would have been the same book had you written it 2019 or 2018 or 2017?
2: That's an interesting question. Um, it, it certainly was easy to... It was, it was one of those good things that redeemed my experience of lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I can look at that and say, hey, I've, this is something that really not just was a good outcome of it, but actually helped me respond to the difficult times that you know we we're all going through and as a community we were going through um so that's one aspect of it it helped to get done in a hurry <laughs> because there was a few less distractions
3: yeah. um
2: but i think there is a there might be an extra uh sense of urgency to it as in and i don't mean that necessarily in a you know an apocalyptic sense or something like that but simply that amidst all the, the, the things that have gone on this year and all the headlines and all the things, you know, all the craziness and the, and by craziness, I don't mean the things that, um, just the things that have happened, but some of the things that everybody's been speculating about happening and all the conspiracy theories that have, you know, filled up too much of the time of our churches and the thinking of, of people that should know better. Um, that this is actually the most important story we have to tell. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was disappointed with some parts of the church that our first impulse when, you know, a significant thing um, like a pandemic started to happen across the world, that our first impulse was to reach for the book of Revelation rather than the stories of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because the, the book of Revelation, well, firstly, there's nothing about pandemics in it. (laughs) <laughs> That's the yeah. short version. Yeah. And so a lot of people that have rushed to that, if they're honest with it, will be disappointed. But when you go to the story of Jesus, that is actually the thing that says this is how you live well in difficult times. Mm. Um, this is, you know, the basics of what Jesus taught about how to care for others, about how to not be afraid, but trust in God, you know, trust him for your you know that he'll provide the things you need for your lives trust him that he's in charge of the future that he's got you know that he's active in our world expecting him to work you know again that anticipation of advent is to expect God to act Um, that's the reality that we should that should be our first impulse when we're faced with tough times whatever they may be Mm. and so I've, even more so than when I was writing the book, but over the last few few weeks, as I've been reflecting on, you know, reflecting on the year, but reflecting on some of the, you know, whether it's politics or pandemics or whatever else might be in that space, um, that, have got, that has grabbed our attention and said, you know, this is the most important thing that's happening. I think that, again, it's an act of resistance to come back and say, the most important thing I've got to say is to retell the story of Jesus. And that's the most important thing that our church has to share. And I've been so gratified that, you know, this book has been taken on by churches across Australia and New Zealand to, you know, and I've had churches, stories of churches that have given copies to every family in their church and that are sharing it in their communities and giving it out to their friends and neighbours as Christmas gifts. Awesome. And that's just, you know, because I truly believe, and this is, you know, this would be the kind of thing that I'd be excited that our church was sharing You know, even if I had nothing to do with it, because this is what this is the best thing we've got to say, and this is the most meaningful and world changing thing that we've got to say, whatever the circumstances. Mm. But I think in difficult circumstances, to simply insist on retelling the story of Jesus is the best thing we can do.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I feel like this year, more so than ever, we need to Mm. lean into that. Mm. rather than lean into our classic cynical selves, you know, yeah. as yeah. a, I don't know, we see it all over our denomination, but mm. maybe this year can be the year that we just say, look, let's just put all that aside and let's come back to that story mm. that we need to tell. And we need to tell afresh, you know, like tell yeah. it in a way that makes sense to a current generation, like mm. tell it in a way that makes sense to a 2020 person. Mm. Um, yeah, which is kind of, Easier said than done, sometimes. But <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, you know, Adventists
0: are very stuck in their ways. So, man, it's funny as you were talking about how we're more used to reaching for the Book of Revelation than we are for the Book of Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John. Um, I couldn't help but think of my own, your local context of you know some of my colleagues, and not to you know, uh, in, no indictment upon any of my colleagues who are currently ministering to their churches and all that sort of stuff. But I think we've got a long way to go before we can get to that place that you're talking about, Nathan. And as you're talking about it, I'm like, yes, this is exactly what we need to be doing Um, because it's so much easier to just reach for the, the classics than it is to... Because telling the story of Jesus, as you say, it's not just about telling the story of Jesus, it's about inserting ourselves into the way of Jesus and mm. seeing ourselves in that place.
2: Yeah, one of the things that's surprised me, to be honest, about how the church has responded, particularly to the pandemic um, across this year, but also to some of the other things, um, is how much we've how much effort we've put into doing things exactly, doing the same things we've done all along.
0: Just harder, you know, just, just going harder, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Or, or even we think we're being innovative just because we're doing it online. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I mean, I think, you know, it was a great novelty to be on a Zoom meeting um, and then everybody got sick of it very, very quickly. <laughs> yep. And the reality is that... Um, you know, it's like the future where they always said we'd have video phones, and all of a sudden we do. <laughs> and, you know, it's like out of the Jetsons. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, but I haven't seen real innovation in our thought, in our spirituality, in our engagement with our communities in creative uh, ways. Um, now that's a horrible generalisation, and there have been good, good examples, but you know it. You know, I know that some of the major initiatives in, in the midst of lockdowns in our part of the world was running public evangelism crusades, and I use that word advisedly, um, <laughs> online. And that was innovation, even though they were the same sermons everybody's been preaching for the last you know, 50 years. Yeah. Um, and you know, and of course, we tack a little bit of current events onto it to make it seem that it's ripped from the headlines. Um, but it's just, that's not creativity and that's not innovation. And so what we need to do is find ways that will actually engage with people and that people will respond to in, in ways that actually matter and Mm. ways that, that aren't just fear. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think that's a real problem uh, for those that seek to peddle fear, but also those that try and cash in on fear. Um, You know, I, there's, to me, the most blatant choice to make in how you live in the world is love or fear, mm. and too much of the time the church peddles. Well, even if the church isn't creating fear, we're happy to trade in it. Mm. And um, oh, yeah.
0: we're just we're just dipping our toes into the pool a little bit because, and here's the th- here's what I've always thought: we are kind of addicted to doing that because it still works to a certain degree, like. Yeah. You're going to run an evangelistic campaign you're going to spend $50,000 and you might baptize 10 people, but mm. you still baptize 10 people and they might already come preloaded with some pretty intense conspiracy theory um, leanings, but that's mm. okay because we baptize 10 people.
2: And who can put a price on us all, brother?
0: That's exactly right. Um, <laughs> 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 apparently $5,000 per person is... <laughs> is the price. There's a reasonable that, return. Right? <laughs> but I, I, I don't think that we are... I don't think that we are brave enough yet to fully embrace what you're saying because I think what we've been doing has been working even though, if it, hasn't, even though it hasn't been working well. I think it still works. But it just... The, the, the ROI is so low...
2: And the other thing that I think is fascinating here is if you talk about um, the science of values, priming, uh, which to me is a fascinating thing about basically the thing that you use to convince people to do something affects the outcome. It affects the quality of what, what you produce. And so yes, you might get a result by doing, using a certain approach, but that doesn't mean you'll get a result that is, is the best result that you can get um so you know if you motivate somebody to to do something good by fear it's not as good an outcome as as if you motivate somebody or if you invite somebody to do something that's good for a good reason Mm. you know Mm. if you provoke them to be by beauty or by goodness or by truth or justice or peace or whatever it might be then everybody is better as a result of that Mm. and um yeah, I sat in a workshop a few years ago at an activism conference and um, you know, a whole se- a session on this values priming stuff and I was just blown away about you know, what this means evangelistically, politically, um, mm. culturally and just that the ends don't justify the means because the means matter and the means mean, the means mean that the end is different <laughs> um, yeah. even if you think that you're achieving something. And, um that's you know I think we as a church really need to spend some time thinking on that is mm. how do we provoke people to good you know by by you know by presenting the things that are good, yeah um and even by overcoming evil by good, as romans twelve twenty puts it, um that's who we're called to be
0: yeah and I think that's it's the harder road to walk, you know, because I think you know even as jesus was on the road to jerusalem as he was heading towards his own execution he was still leaning into that and as people of jesus walking through dark times it's very easy for us to be the moaners and the groaners about how terrible things are and the or the predictors of how much more terrible things are going to be hmm. and, but yet it just it does strike me that Uh, as Jesus was walking to the cross, he was still encouraging. He was Mm. still um, healing. He was still preaching. He was still teaching. He was still empathizing. He was doing all the things that are just espoused by his character. And so, yeah, that, that just makes me think of the way that we walk in this dark world as people of hope rather than people of pain and over
3: prediction
2: (laughs) and i think the other thing the most significant prophetic faithful statement we can make in the world is simply it doesn't have to be this way Mm. Mm. um you know to me that's drawing on the best of the hebrew prophets you know they predicted gloom and doom um a lot of the time and judgments and harsh really harsh stuff against the idolatry and injustice that the people were doing but almost always their message came back, it doesn't have to be this way. And I think that's the most profound thing we can say in the world today when we confront injustice, you know, and this year the other thing that a lot of people have spent some time on has been, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests and some of these things. Um, You know, the statement that we can make as faithful people of God in the world in this thing is recognizing the history of racism and how that has developed and to simply say it doesn't have to be this way people Mm -hmm. made choices that got us to this point that means we can make different choices and i Mm -hmm. would say that so much of bible prophecy which we then try and tie up into a, a history of the future is actually it doesn't have to be this way you know this is the this is the inevitable outcome of continuing to make these choices the people of God are the ones that choose differently and that choose to live differently, choose to live with hope, who choose to live by faith, that choose to live uh, in light of the story of Jesus and that choose to live in community and in empathy and compassion for other people. And thus the world is different. You know, that's who we're called to be.
3: Hmm. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it comes back to the whole being uh, not transformed by the world around you but actually transforming the world around you for the sake of Christ like it's a it's mm. a mindset shift and not just being caught in the tide or in the in the rip but actually
2: and also know, in the sense we reject the sense of inevitability that is thrust upon us mm. you know people in power always want to tell you that it's inevitable that they're in power mm. um, and people you know and the evil in our world one of the ways that it is perpetuated is simply by this kind of you know, tacit acceptance that it's just the way the world is. Mm. And so our call as people of God is that we get this alternative vision of what the world was intended to be, what the world will be, which changes how the world is now. And thus, in the light of that, we're called to live and to serve and uh, and to speak. Mm. Interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think... That sense of inevitability—that's not even really a core value of Adventism, especially when you come down to the whole like Calvinism versus Arminianism thing. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're huge on freedom of choice, and the whole great controversy is that there's this battle weight raging, and you, mm. it, you have to choose who you're going to serve. That's right. Man, I can't believe I just I jumped into the great controversy from that. That is so not a normal thing for me to do, but it's so like, <laughs> but it, when you it, put it, it into definitely. that, that's exactly yeah. where we where we are. Like, we mm. we're not supposed to have that just. Yeah, sense of the fatalistic. I'm really just linking this right now. Yeah, fatalistic. That's not us. Beautiful.
2: I like seeing those connections made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. No, thanks.
2: You're, you're exactly right. And um, I think that that's if 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 our freedom of choice matters, then that means that we choose things every day that change how the world is. Mm. And you know that we we are a part of shaping the world. You know I mean. Mm. We may not have massive influence, but we do all have voice and influence of some kind, and that makes a difference, that our world must be better because we are here as people of God and that, um, and there are people in the world that desperately need the world to be better.
0: Mm. So true. Um, I had a question about how to use the book. So,
3: oh, a book. We
2: keep so losing sight of this. Is I'm there- supposed to be the author that keeps plugging the book. But, um, I'm not very good at this. Am I? <laughs> I love these rabbit
0: holes. It's great. It's great. Um, no, so obviously you can read this as a devotional. You can read it with a partner or with your kids. Um, mm. How are you seeing the book being used? Uh, how would you suggest? Um, the book be used apart from the I guess the obvious applications
3: hmm.
2: yeah, so the simple thing is firstly that I think it i I hope and I expect that it will be um, something that um, yeah people can make part of their their Christmas experience, you know where many of us are used to the advent calendars that you know with a chocolate a day to count down the days to christmas
0: i must yeah. say i was very uh, disappointed that there was not a chocolate included with every chapter <laughs> i was kind of expecting that but I was that's
2: okay. a qr code and you can scan and download a chocolate uh-uh. <laughs> um so yeah that's the first thing and um yeah, you, know, you can you can buy yourself a chocolate a day if you wish, Jesse. Oh, okay, thank you. That's a good idea. Invitation Your is there. <laughs> at the end of the at the end of the chapter. Yeah, that's yeah, right. finish the and chapter. it will make the experience all the sweeter. <laughs> yeah. uh, Sorry, that's a thanks. bad joke. Thanks, Dad. Uh, <laughs> great. Um but one of the things that we were in was the vision for this project is that um, because we've talked about it in the way that we have, that it's something that I've tried to definitely to write so it's accessible, and so you don't have to be a lifelong churcher to um, to get it. You may just be curious about. So why do we stop every year and think about this story in to some degree or another? Um, and so the book opens with an invitation to say, if you've never heard this story before, you know here's a couple of Bible bits you can read just to get you into it, and then you know just give us a chance to think about you know, why this matters if it's true. And, you know, what are some of the implications of some of the claims that are made about it? Because the claims that are made about it in the story itself are just incredible. You know, they are so remarkable that, you know, they probably deserve at least a little hearing. Mm. So that's the invitation and we designed it prettily, you know, that it looks like a premium Mm. gift. Um, it looks great. Yeah, beautiful Honestly, really gold foiling nice. on the cover. It's amazing. I feel <laughs> so, bougie um,
0: just having it in my that's, collection.
2: That's it. It um, yeah. You know, so the idea is that if you have a neighbour, a friend, a family member, someone you know, even a community leader, you know, and a pastor in another church, your local mayor, you know, whatever that you want to just give a gift to at this time, you know, and Christmas is the time when we do those things, then you know that it's designed to be a book that will be accepted in that way and every part of what we did in packaging it in that way is to make it look premium to make it look like somebody cared it's even on thicker paper than most of the books that we publish just to make it feel a bit classier um you know we got a, an endorsement from tim costello as a prominent christian but public christian leader here in australia with a view to um you yeah, that's a name that when somebody picks up the book or they unwrap it, then when you've given it to them as a Christmas gift, they go, oh, I know who he is. I've seen him on the news. Um, I might have a look. Um, hmm. And Tim was um, very generous in supporting the, the project by that way. Um, and, um, yeah, so the idea is that, and often as a church we've done, you know, focused on mass sharing of, you know, let's letterbox every town with a copy Mm. of, you know, every house in town with a copy of this book or this tract or whatever. But my vision for what people would do with this would be meaningful sharing. You know, sharing that is in the context of a relationship, that where you're making a commitment to being there to have a conversation with the person once they've had a look out of it in a few weeks' time or, you know, that kind of thing where there's, it's in the context of a relationship. So it actually matters rather than just being junk mail. Mm. And that I think is, again, comes back to it. Actually, the idea of the book is that it looks like somebody cares about what it says, that it's valuable and that it's the kind of thing that because somebody else took it seriously, you might take it seriously too. So even mm. in its presentation, we've been very intentional in making it look like it matters.
3: Hmm,
0: that's very cool. So um, can churches use it? Do you reckon, was there some intentionality for faith communities to do collective yeah. sharing together
2: with it? Yeah. And so I've even already, I've come across a few churches that have um, uh, that have given out copies to every family in their church and, um, and then have extra copies so that once fa- those families have had the chance to have a look through it and get to know it a little bit, that they will then, you know, here's some extra copies if you wanna give one to your neighbor or your you know, your, your school teacher, you know, your kid's school teacher or whatever it might be. Um, you know, there's, um, so churches are using it in that way uh, and then planning to work through it across the month of December so that every church, every family in the church has that book, they're working through it, they're discovering it and, together um Hmm. also there's a few churches around australia that i'm aware of that are planning christmas you know public christmas programs you know whether it's a worship service and they're using the branding from the book um you know so the the title and some of those kind of things for their you know social media images or their advertising or whatever uh and connecting it to the book and so if you come along we'll give you a copy of the book as a christmas gift and um I believe the Warunga Church in Sydney is planning a big um, Christmas carolie kind of program, and it's going to be themed or, or going to use this as uh, an aspect of it as well. So, quite a variety of things, and um, yeah, pretty excited to have it um, used in that way. It's again, as I said earlier, it's um, the kind of thing that I'd be excited to see our church printing whether I or sharing whether I had anything to do with it or not, <laughs>
3: mm. and
2: but also just yeah you know, it's a it's a privilege to be you know something that you've labored labored over in such a personal kind of way, but then to see you know thousands of church members now you know heaps of churches getting involved with getting excited about it mm. um, that's pretty cool oh, very cool
1: yeah yeah and uh, i mean just yet yeah, you, you did touch on it, but the language on it I was really impressed at because I always keep a very big eye out for like any any media that uses too much sort of um Adventees, you know, it's just like all this Adventist <laughs> language and you don't get yeah. it if you're an Adventist. But I found the language in this book like anybody could get it. And I think that's, I think that's awesome. So I think it, it would make a good like gift. And I was actually thinking about people that I would share it with and they would just mm. get it, you know, like it's not, Yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't I don't even say it uses Christianese really. Like it's really, yeah, really mm. open language, which is really it's cool nuts. to see um, because often our media does not do that, so yeah. <laughs> Again, that,
2: that's very intentional, and that's what we tried to make it. And I mean, even um, I mean, to me, one of the most gratifying things was um, my wife, who's not somebody who's your average literature sharing church member
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, in that traditional kind of sense. Yeah. Um, she told me she wants a couple of copies to give to a couple of her friends, mm. and cool. I was just wow. Well, I was I actually said oh wow that kind of took me by surprise but she <laughs> said because it's good and you know it's um you know it is accessible to mm. those people and i care about them and i think that this is a good thing Yeah, and so sometimes your greatest um, gratifications are closer to home in that sense and, you know, it's it's nice that people out there are using it but the fact that my wife believes in it, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Oh,
1: yeah. When the spouse (laughs) is all in, you're like, yeah, this is definitely actually good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It's awesome. So good. Hey. So um, one of the other great things that's happening with it... Sorry, Jesse. No, you go, you go, you go. (laughs) One of the other great things that's happening with it this year is... um, with all the COVID restrictions and some of those kind of things, one of, we haven't been able to do the Road to Bethlehem thing here in Melbourne mm. in the way that we traditionally have done. Road to Bethlehem has been over the past 25 years a sort of walk-through nativity play, immersion experience in the story in the story of Jesus' birth. Um, it's been just one of the best things that our churches have done here in Melbourne over the over that 25 years. Uh, has Traditionally, attracted tens of thousands of people through it each year, Um, you know, in groups, you know, large groups coming through and just walking through different scenes of the story, and it's something that I've had the privilege to be a part of over the um, over the past seven years. I think I worked out um, wise man number three. Um, <laughs> the, really the key wise man to the story well, I kind of think, say. yeah I think it's probably the almost the pivotal role of the entire story um, <laughs> Yeah, definitely Because they do have some of the best lines about, you know The prophecies that pointed them to this baby And what it actually means and why it matters um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's just my little plug for the significance of wise menning um, <laughs> yeah. But it is an acting role because I have to act wise um, <laughs> But this year, we're doing it as a um, we've filmed it, uh, and it will be as on the uh, thirteenth of December, will be a premiere online experience, and um, that's been something that, to me, has actually been a has been a spark of my growing appreciation of the story over the past few years, which has contributed to the book, Uh, and I think I even referenced my experience as a wise man in one of the one of the chapters in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, but just to be immersed in the story in a unique way to work with a team of people that are just so passionate about telling the story each year and then, but also to see the thousands of people coming through and responding to it, being captivated Mm -hmm. by it and being open to it. And so this year, as I said, we've filmed it. Um, you can register so that you can be part of the uh, premiere at roadtobethlehem.org. And that's available from anywhere in the world, of course. I think there's very few Road to Bethlehem's that are happening uh, because of the COVID challenges and restrictions and some of these kind of things. And so this is the replacement event for it. Um, a cameo, once again, is Wise Man 3. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not sure about my um, screen acting debut. <laughs> I'm a little nervous about that one. He writes, <laughs> he
0: acts. What is? What else does he do? My goodness.
2: <laughs> um, so, um, but even here... Um, in victoria for people that register they're giving away the book as a um as a gift and limited to the people in victoria but if you sign up to register you become part of the part of become part of this event um and so far it's the registrations have been open for a couple of weeks and we have sent out 400 copies of the book
3: Mm, awesome um,
2: which is just great and they have people from who knows where that are responding to the story that are interested most of them, of course, have probably seen it in the past, but this is an opportunity to, get to go deeper with it. So I invite you to come along and be part of Road to Bethlehem mm. in this unique way this year um, mm. and register as soon as you can and be part of the fun. Um, but, yeah, again, just another significant way of retelling the
3: story.
1: Hmm. Yeah, Very awesome. Cool. Well, get on it, guys. We all love free stuff. It's free up- <laughs> <laughs> For those of you in Victoria, our listeners down there, I know there's a good chunk of you down there, so... Uh stay strong in lockdown and enjoy road to Bethlehem, and maybe just maybe you'll get a free book so but this is, is also uh
0: this is also great for uh people in New Zealand as well because we usually have a great road to Bethlehem in Todonga, but that's unfortunately mm-hmm. been cancelled this year so if you are living, listening from New Zealand or Ethiopia or United States or Anywhere Arizona. Else I
1: don't know if we have any listeners in Arizona. I just hey, felt like saying it. Where's if my
2: Arizona? If you're, if you're listening in Bethlehem, you can tune in exactly. to see what Bethlehem's really like. <laughs> <laughs> this is the
0: real deal, folks. None of that fake Bethlehem nonsense.
2: <laughs> That's right. You were um, mentioning KFC before. Bethlehem has a KFC. Ooh. Really? Hmm. You know I what? Know, There's I want to go. I want to go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> go to Bethlehem just for the KFC. <laughs> see, it's a
2: Christmas town. <laughs> That's where the Christmas tradition comes from. It's always, it's always Christmas, and yeah. you know, yeah. I just uh, think I mean, it's just one of those things that you've never thought of before. Yeah, is that Bethlehem is a KFC?
0: Did you mention the, that? Yeah. I feel like you may have mentioned that when we were interviewing when, you for when you interviewed falafels. You last time.
2: Yeah, with the falafels book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I also did draw on a little bit of those experiences of visiting, particularly mm. Bethlehem, um, in this book. In um, Yeah, Yeah. and um, just some of the reflections that you get while visiting the town where it's always Christmas. But that is just such, except for the fact that this happened there, is so inconsequential a place. Um, Mm. You know, it has, you know, it is just that ordinary kind of town. And I think, again, we see the miracle of that incarnation Mm. is that it happened in a specific time, in a specific place. It's not just a story, it's history. but that happened in an unremarkable place mm. in so many ways. And you and, you,
0: um, you yeah. compared that to uh, Albert Einstein's uh, birthplace, place which, of birth, yeah. which he only spent what a year there before he moved <laughs> on. But it, it's where it's, he's
2: from. That's right. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a fascinating. Um, yeah, the fact that we give significance to the birthplace of someone, even when it may have very little influence in. Who or what they are or became
3: mm.
2: um, so really it's a reflection back on who that you know we, we give significance to the place because of who the person was not the place doesn't give significance to the to yeah. the person yeah. so yeah it's a fascinating. i am fascinated by that idea of why we would visit the birthplace of albert einstein for example which i did by accident <laughs> um, <laughs> because i was going to try going to see the biggest the tallest church in the world so Oh, there you go. In the same
1: town. What a coincidence. (laughs) So do you guys think Mary and Joseph stopped at KFC on the way through? or? the way out maybe while they were there you know
0: travelling through where else this, are you going to stop right this is the part where the podcast goes downhill <laughs> yeah, probably,
1: a good place to, probably a good place to do a U-turn let's, let's, let's head out of here turn the donkey around <laughs> turn that donkey around everyone alright right. Oh. awesome no well thank you so much Nathan we really appreciate it um, anything else you want to add about the book
2: before we, before we wrap up yeah so um, we've talked about churches sharing it and all those kind of things but the simplest thing is to buy yourself a copy Um, available from almost any book retailers. If you're listening internationally, the best and cheapest and easiest place to get it is either bookdepository.com. Just look for Advent Nathan Brown. Uh, There's lots of books if you look up Advent. There's lots of books if you look up Nathan Brown um, because there's lots of other Nathan Browns in the world that have written books. Um, (laughs) Uh But if you do Advent Nathan Brown, you'll find it. And, of course, the beauty of Book Depository is that they include the, the free postage to anywhere in the world. So... Uh, that's a pretty good deal. If you want the ebook, it's available on Amazon, um, for Kindle and uh, or available in Australia and New Zealand from an Adventist book store near you or most other book retailers. So, um, it's on most of the you know, uh, book-selling web stores. Um, so grab yourself a copy, buy one for everyone, you know, for Christmas, uh, because it's all your Christmas shopping needs solved in this moment. If you Fantastic. just get a box full of books, everybody gets a book. It's really, really simple, and books are always easy to wrap. You know, so that it just True. ticks so many boxes, and you're sharing something good and meaningful and all those things at the same time.
1: Yeah, you could be like Oprah.
2: You get a book, you get a book, <laughs> everyone gets a book.
3: <laughs> Although I would,
0: say, I would say if you are planning to buy this as a Christmas present, Maybe it might not be a bad idea to give the person on December 1 as an early Christmas present so they can experience it all. I don't know, no, that's it's pretty I controversial. Can
2: recommend it that. I mean, you don't have to read it one chapter a day. You can read it all in a day if you it's get really excited about it. So, you know, that's just one way to use it. Um the risk of giving someone a present on December 1 is that they've forgotten about it by Christmas and expect something else. You know, that's true. That's that's dangerous. So you've got to watch out for your shifty friends and relatives that then will try and double dip on the Christmas giving. Um, but you would look super organized. That's a You pro. would, indeed. Yeah. And I've even had some people suggest that they're going to send them instead of Christmas cards these year, this, this year. Oh, that's wow. cool. Um, you know, you can just write a happy Christmas greeting in the front of the book and, you know, it's relatively... Um, you know, relatively postable, um, and yeah, there's a there's a there's a simple That's simple wonderful. way of sharing something good for Christmas. So yeah, you're only limited by your imagination. And if people
0: want to check out some of the other books that you've written, would they be uh, better off going to Book Depository or the Science website? What would be the best course of action if they want to check out some of your other books?
2: Yeah, um, I have an author page on Amazon, so if you find Advent there and then click on the Nathan Brown there, you'll get the list of all the other things that are available there. Um, if you go to um, one of the Adventist Book Centre web stores in different parts of the world, you'll find a few different titles there. Um, technically, I think this is my 17th book with my name wow. on the front of it. Wow. Um, so there 's a there 's a little bit of a back catalog that 's starting to grow, <laughs> and that makes me feel old, and, you know, all those things, but to uh, make you feel accomplished man <laughs> it's cool. it 's a nice shelf on my bookshelf at home the, Definitely. You know, the my books um, yeah. that's cool. you know that 's a fun kind of thing, and it 's fun to look back on. The other thing with this book is that this now gets me to a hundred thousand books in print wow, um, so total print runs across all of those so that that was a little bit of a milestone that I was kind of oh wow that's mm. that's kind of cool.
3: Congratulations! <laughs> really cool. Yeah. And
2: most of that is just yeah I see it as a privilege and you know it's not a it's more a privilege than an opportunity um, that I've just had all these incredible you know opportunity opportunities. Um, um, yeah, I think I said more a privilege than an opportunity, more a privilege <laughs> than an achievement.
3: Right. Um, yeah, that
2: makes more sense. So. <laughs> yeah it's more a privilege
3: than an achievement.
2: Um, and you know, I've just had some incredible opportunities over the years and, um, yeah, um, you just keep trying to do the next best thing. Mm. And, um, you know, as those opportunities come along and yeah. And the, and the biggest thing is where people pick up something and go, you know, that really helped or encouraged me or that made me think about something different or, you know, Mm. that's pretty, that's, that's the real privilege even a step more is that, you know, people take it seriously and engage with it and, you know, they buy one for somebody else. And, you know, that's a pretty amazing thing for someone to to commit a little bit of themselves in saying, I recommend this to you. And, you know, I, hmm. I think this could be helpful or encouraging or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I think again, you know, 2020, it's been a year. Um, it has. We get back to the, we, we get invited back to the core of what it's actually about when we simply stop and recognize Jesus and that's really what this is an invitation to hmm. mm.
0: so good
1: really good great place to land the plane hey we'd love to hear what you think everybody so send us your thoughts and uh, questions we'd love to hear it all um Yeah, and of course, the best place to find all things Burn the Haystack is burnthehaystack.org. That's where you go. It's links to all our social and a way to contact us directly through there.
0: And if you uh, haven't already, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening or watching online. Um, If you'd like to help us get this podcast out uh, so we can have more awesome conversations with Nathan and many other beautiful people just like him, uh, leave us a rating or a review on your podcatching app of choice, and if you would like to uh, help us out even more, you can either even buy some merch on our website. So that's also on burnthehaystack dot org. Buy yourself a t shirt. Um, get Nathan's book. Wrap the book in the, t-shirt, use the t shirt. That would be the
2: ultimate Christmas gift. we it? the ultimate. <laughs>
3: A really of oh, advent
2: tra- 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 wrapped in a Burn the haystack t-shirt. It's critically fantastic. acclaimed
1: <laughs> gift, really. Yes, <laughs> <So>. be fantastic.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: In fact, you can make a whole advent calendar out of them, and every day you just open a new shirt. And it's <laughs> I don't
2: know. It's, like, it's like the ad- the Christmas gift giving version, the Adventist Christmas gift version giving version of the <laughs> you know the book inside yes. the t-shirt
1: inside. inside the jumper inside yeah. the jumper obviously yep. it's starting <laughs> to sound obviously. as much
0: of a uh, an abomination as a tadakan.
3: <laughs> <laughs> awesome alright well Great.
1: thank you so much Nathan and thanks everyone for listening stay awesome stay beautiful that is Josh Jesse and Nathan out